slippers and shoes. What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And we're back, baby. And we're not talking about Anne just like that. Can you believe? The relief that I felt to not have to watch a new and Just Like That episode was, well, quickly usurped by the dread of like all the shit I have to watch now for the podcast. Right. But like we had fun stuff to watch this week, no? For sure. And I'm happy to be back in person with you. Let's just say it. August, not the best month. No. First my dog died. Then I got COVID on my annual trip to Provincetown, which totally sucked. I ended up missing our planned Romy and Michelle screening. So how did that go? (laughs) We haven't talked about it. It went great. So last week, the American Cinematheque wrapped up their Friend of the Fest series, which we were invited to, and we got to present Romy and Michelle. Chelsea, you'll be so happy to know we were in theater one. Oh, the big theater. Absolutely. I've never seen a movie in the big theater. The only movies I see are in like the tiny theater that seats like 20 people. It was very exciting to see fuckettes in real life. Our friend Carly Shortino, which I've been saying Skiratino for our entire friendship, it's Shortino, uh, came out. We made the guy say that it was you. Oh, really? <laughs> and then we did a whole reveal about why you couldn't, you couldn't be there. But not since I first saw Romy and Michelle had I seen that film with an audience. And that was decades ago at this point. Yeah, it makes me want to see something like Clueless with an audience. Films like that from our childhood are such solo experiences. Well, I saw both of those in a theater. It's just like I was a literal child at the time. That's what I'm saying. Now, being an adult and getting all of the adult references, it would be fun to see with an audience. I will say, which I was not expecting... The American Cinematheque got a film print of Romeo and Michelle. Oh, wow. That must really speak to your your film nerd tendencies. We gave a list of films that we would like to like to show and Romeo and Michelle was selected. And I think it's because that's what they could find a film print of, which is what makes the American Cinematheque so great. Honestly, I feel embarrassed to say that I'm not a member because they have such incredible programming over the Aero Theater that they operate out of in Santa Monica and the Los Feliz 3. So... I will be doing that. after. Actually, after we record this podcast, I will be using the business credit card to purchase a membership for each of us. Love that for us. Very sad that I missed that event, but so grateful that I tested negative before the Beyonce concert because that is what would have truly broken me. That would have broken your soul? That would have broken my soul straight up. It was incredible. I almost don't even know how to talk about. Because you went the night of Beyonce's birthday. Yes, I went to the birthday show, the B-Day show, if you will, which was on (laughs) September 4th. It was truly shocking to witness that firsthand. The voice is insane, the choreo, the catalog, It was so overwhelming to me that when Diana Ross came out to sing Happy Birthday to Beyonce, I literally just started sobbing hysterically. Like it was, it was too, it was like too much 
for me to handle because obviously Diana Ross is someone that I have idolized since birth. And it was crazy seeing her with Beyonce because I feel like they're the only two people in the world that could kind of relate to each other. Well, certainly, yes. Diana Ross is the blueprint for Beyonce. Beyonce, of course, played Diana Ross in Dreamgirls, but I was so like out of my mind that I didn't even notice that Diana Ross's mic was not working. Like she came out and basically tried to sing Love Hangover, but just the backing track played. But they did get the mic together um, in time for Happy Birthday, thankfully. And that audio person is now looking for a new job. Yes, because also during America Has a Problem, another highlight of the show, Kendrick Lamar came out to sing his verse, but his mic also didn't work. So we only really heard the last, like, 15 seconds of his feature which was crazy but he looked amazing he wore some like fluorescent martine rose outfit and another main takeaway that i have from the show is like the nude lueve cat suit with the gloves on it i have seen i would say hundreds of images of it at this point but nothing compares to seeing this shit live like it looked insane in person as I was watching Beyonce come out of this pave rhinestone clamshell to sing plastic off the sofa I was like oh this is like people are going to look back at this the way we look back at like Gautier's costumes for Madonna or Bob Mackie's costumes for Cher or something like it felt really historic and and insane to see. A plus, no notes. Oh, 110%. Now, Chelsea, how I experienced the show was on TikTok of people showing all the celebrities that were there. Did you see anybody? Well, yes. Uh, we quite literally bumped into Khloe Kardashian <gasps> and Penelope because they were in our section. They were like 10 rows ahead of us, so we couldn't see them. I didn't I didn't realize until we, we ran into Khloe that they were there. Oh, I also saw Questlove. Questlove was also in front of us. And I think most importantly, Chelsea, this is where we got confirmation that Kylie and Timothée are a thing. Is it Timothée or is it Timothy? Because people have told us that we're pronouncing it wrong. And I thought we were pronouncing it right. So here's the thing. I will drop in this clip from the actor himself explaining how his name is pronounced. It's supposed to be Timothée, but that always just seemed like too obnoxious requirement to put on people. So Timothy, Tim, Timmy. It's either. I mean, we can start calling him Timothy again, but I was given <laughs> shit originally that it's Timothy and not Timothy. So we can't win, but you know what? Seems like him and Kylie are winning together. I'm glad that they finally ventured out in public together. Well, you know, it was all for the PR, right? Did you see how awkward they made out in those stills from TMZ? It's like people are fully fucking deranged. Yeah, but we do have our suspicions about the Kendall Bad Bunny relationship being for publicity. So it's like, I don't think it's against their nature necessarily, but I do think that this is a real relationship. Absolutely. Tabloids are not consistently wrong for nine months. She was photographed repeatedly leaving his house in Beverly Hills over the last year. And I think they were just making out because they were in a public place. And they're people too, Chelsea. I mean, they may have been there with Jeff Bezos, but they are still people nonetheless. Oh, yeah. What was your outfit? A silver pair of pants, because that's like the only clothing item I had. 
Tat looked really major, though. She wore this Tyvek silver jacket that we had bought at Ikea, like, years ago. Like, it looks like a lab <laughs> Very <coat>. surprising. <laughs> like, it's very, like, Helmut Lang kind of vibes. And it's been in our downstairs closet for 10,000 years. And, and finally, you know, it was her night. Ikea really has everything. She wore this pair of like wraparound sunglasses that are silver that fully look like Balenciaga that you can buy on Amazon for like $8.99. I will drop that link in the show notes. Is Tap becoming a TikTok influencer? Like, look at my, go to my Amazon storefront. <laughs> link in bio. Well, actually, we did encounter another man that was also wearing them. So I believe that this has become like a niche thing for the Renaissance tour. Anyway, it was a truly amazing night. Absolutely unforgettable. But we have so many other things to talk about. But first and foremost, we got a comment on our Patreon on the last and just like that episode that I can't stop thinking about from a listener named Veronica. Do you want to read this or should I? Oh, I will. Thank you. I'm on hour eight in the labor and delivery room waiting for my induction to start. And this just saved my life. Three exclamation points. Imagine listening to us talk about and just like that while a tiny human being is literally like hurtling out of your vagina. Well, imagine that baby that's been nestled in this womb for nine months and the first thing that they hear is our voices. Wouldn't it be insane if like the baby just like starts talking like one of us? Like it's like it's like a little drag queen baby like me. Every outfit. Yeah, the baby's <laughs> first words is our theme song. This is how the baby could learn to speak English from listening to every outfit. Well, it made me think, is this something we should be offering? Who wants the words of an encouraging doula? For just $9.99, <laughs> you can hear eight hours of two monotone voices talk shit about the Kardashians <laughs> and discuss Gaylor theories as you bring your bundle of joy into the world. I love that. Great idea, Lauren. Um, but congrats, Veronica. You are already killing it at parenting, clearly. And who's a better judge than us? <laughs> On another end, just like that adjacent note, Sotheby's is auctioning off Carrie's famous bird hat as part of their upcoming Fashion Icons exhibition. It is estimated to sell for between 40 and 70K. And the auction is happening on September 14th, Tat's birthday. If half our audience just gave us a dollar. <laughs> we could buy this thing, guys. Just think about it. See, this is why Instagram needs to introduce some sort of direct tipping feature. Like if you could just like click on something by our post and send us a dollar so that we could do this, I feel like that would be a positive thing. Or you should be able to like give your favorite like Instagram bikini model a dollar here and there. Yeah, because it seems like from what I understand of TikTok lives, the way that you actually make money is in the live feature, people sending you gifts. But it shouldn't have to be live for that to happen. You can do that on Instagram as well. Not to sound like some boomer comic, but if everything in our life that we pay for by credit card now automatically asks you if you want a tip, it should be extended to Instagram and other social media platforms. Don't make us start a GoFundMe for this, guys, please. <laughs> no, it's true. And the fact that when you do start a GoFundMe, there's no integration with Instagram. You have to just like post a screenshot of the GoFundMe and put the link in the bio. Like, I feel like there really needs to be more integration here. Anyway, I need to talk about this bird head piece. It is a taxidermied bird. It is from the 1800s. 
And while I have seen Carrie wear this headpiece in the first film and on And Just Like That, I've never looked into the bird's eyes before. Are you okay, Chelsea? Well, have you seen the photo? Have you looked at this bird's fucking face? It's haunting. This bird clearly died for our sins, and um, we should hold space for that. It does have the look of what I imagined a lobotomized housewife of the 1940s would sort of look like. Yeah, it's actually like really disturbing if you really look at it. Well, because also it feels like the head is bent the other way. It's a full head. I just kind of thought maybe it had a little like glass eye or something like that. I mean, I'm sure it does. I'm so surprised of all of the pieces that I imagine this is something that Sarah Jessica Parker retained in her archive that of all pieces, this is what she would be giving up for auction. But maybe to your point, she is also haunted by this taxidermy bird and is like, get it out of here. Well, when you think about it within the context of Sex in the City, this is not an item that would spark joy for Carrie, right? Because right. the first time she wore it, she got left at the altar. The second time she wore it was as a last resort because her Met Gala look fell through at the 11th hour and she was forced to wear this. And yet Smoke got a seat at the Last Supper. It's very surprising. <laughs> Before we move on, can we get into how random the assortment of items are that are for sale at this auction? I mean, yes. I haven't looked at any of the other lots. So what's being sold? We've got two items from Princess Diana's wardrobe one is a sheep jumper as they call it wait the black sheep one uh yes there seems to be a black sheep in the center of this okay well that's super famous and like worth a shitload i'm sure that's iconic i want that uh well the current bid is a hundred and ten thousand dollars <laughs> god damn it okay what else kate winslet's 70th academy awards outfit the alexander mcqueen for givenchy dress that she wore when she was nominated for Titanic. Incredible. No one's bid on that yet. How sad. That is sad. Someone will bid on that, though. A few Birkins and Kelly bags? Not for nothing. If you've ever looked on first dibs compared to Sotheby's, these are pretty good prices for Kelly bags. Well, if you are a fashion collector, buying stuff at auction is the ideal. That's where half of like the sellers end up getting their shit from, you know? All right. Well, we will keep our eyes out for who actually buys this. As always, I assume it's just Ivy Getty that's purchasing these things. (laughs) In some other television news, The Idol got canceled. Oh, no. A spokesman for HBO said in a statement, After much thought and consideration, HBO, as well as the creators and producers, have decided not to move forward with a second season. We're grateful to the creators, cast, and crew for their incredible work and the tens of people who watch the show until the end. I'm joking. I made up that last line, (laughs) but I think you and I are among, uh, I don't know, a few dozen people that actually watch the show to the end. I never need to see Tedros again, obviously, but as a Jane Addams stan, this is a nightmare. I am mourning the loss of Jocelyn's team in a major way, so much so that I have prepared a eulogy for this occasion. Can we drop in some organ music in the background? Today we are gathered to celebrate the idol. You were only here for five short episodes, but you taught us so much during your brief tenure in the coveted HBO Sunday night time slot. You gave us World Class Sinner, a timeless bop which will be played in Fire Island for decades to come. 
You taught us that you can and should jerk off in the changing room at the Valentino store on Rodeo Drive if given the opportunity. And most importantly, you gave an entire generation of Gen Z viewers dark and twisted sexual fantasies that they will be processing with their therapists for years to come. Thank you to the idol for filling the void in our hearts and our minds. All right, well... I was going to ask you this question, but I feel like I know the answer. If you remember at Cannes, Sam Levinson's response to the criticism about the show, even before it premiered, was that he thought that this was going to be the show of the summer. Do you agree that The Idol was the show of summer 2023? For us, it was. I don't know how much of an impact it made otherwise like I feel like was the succession finale this summer like that made more of an impact for sure but I do feel like as maligned as the idol was I think it will be treated akin to mother which actually came out five years ago or six years ago this week Chelsea I think it's going to be something that like the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in a few years from now is going to have like an all-night screening of all the episodes back to back it will be celebrated for being the camp masterpiece that it is at some point, but especially as more time goes by. Yes, and like all pieces of really good camp, the creators meant it very seriously and very genuinely. And I will be intrigued to see if The weekend rebrands his performance as quite like Tommy Wiseau. Oh, I meant it to be comedic the entire time. Yeah, I kind of think he's not going to want to attempt to act again after this. Only time will tell. So in other television news, I am still watching Roni. How are you doing with Roni? I just don't like reality television in general. So it's a hard watch for me. I am watching it because of Jenna Lyons, because I think that she's fascinating. And, you know, she's not a typical reality star. So I think that appeals to me. She is the most highbrow person I think that's been on that show. Apologies to Carol Radzewell. I said what I said. But I think what makes a good Housewife franchise that this franchise of Roni has is your favorite person and your most hated are constantly swapping. I will amend that for you. Your favorite remains Jenna Lyons. Who's your most hated? See, it changes. I mean, Jessel's pretty low on the list. I will say when I first watched Erin, who's the real estate agent, I was like, that's my girl. But as episodes have gone on, she's she's fallen towards the bottom. Well, she did donate to Trump, although I am on her side in the sort of Bryn versus Erin anniversary party drama. Like, I do actually think that Brim was fully acting crazy. I think I have the most back and forth with Brim. It's like, do I hate her? Is she possibly the funniest housewife? Then she sexualizes everything way too much, and I'm back to disliking her. And then she fangirls over Lynn Yeager, and I'm like, am I Brim? <laughs> yeah, I do think she seems to be a little, like, histrionic, but... She had an extremely traumatic childhood, as she discusses on the show. I kind of understand why she is the way that she is. She definitely is one of the more entertaining characters. But yes, I do think it it becomes grating at times. Given her tagline, which is, I'm going to butcher a little bit, but it's basically like, make me mad and I'll date your dad. 
Yeah. And given her flirtation with Aaron's dad at her 10th anniversary party, I'm like, this better be leading into Bryn dating Aaron's dad. If this were a scripted show, that is what will happen. I will also say, not since the Richard sisters in Beverly Hills have we had such mommy issues on The Housewives. Between Jenna's relationship with her mother, which has been hinted at, and Bryn's relationship with her mother... Oh, boy. But I think that it is cool that they are talking about that stuff on the show and sort of being vulnerable in that way. I feel like it, it, it makes the show better. It humanizes them. And Jenna is a really fascinating combination of guarded and extremely open. Yeah, as someone who has terrible teeth issues, like I truly was born without half of my adult teeth and have had many dental surgeries and implants like she has. I think she has worse teeth than I do. Oh, absolutely. I have also had a bunch of fucked up teeth shit. So I appreciate the fact that she is talking about it because it can be extremely fucking traumatic. There is also something that is refreshing about Jenna, although she won't fully go there, which was represented in this week's episode where she's like, I don't want to fly coach. I think that Aaron was fucked up for suggesting to the rest of the group that that's the reason why she flew to Antigua early. She said she was like, I have this genetic disorder. My skin is fucked up and uneven. If I'm going to be on this reality show with all of you guys in bikinis, I just want to get there a couple days early so I can get a tan. Like, that's normal. Chelsea, she can't have someone's spray tan her the night before she leaves? She wants a natural tan. Okay, here's here's my point when I say that Jenna just won't fully go there. She is a woman of means in her 50s. I think it's totally fine to state a preference. Hey guys, I will meet you there. I want to go tan. I want to decompress. The subtext is like, I need a little me time. Jenna is fully aware of what is expected of her or what is going to happen on a housewives trip. She's smart enough. She's savvy enough if she agreed to go on this show. And so I completely respect the like, hey, I'm going to need a little me time before we all get into a fight for three episodes. Yeah, exactly. I just think that Erin twisted her words and tried to make her seem like a snob when she's really, as she said, she has the skin thing and she's more of an introvert, I guess, or she's never been on a girl's trip. Yeah, I also think she didn't want to fly coach. I mean, that is a funny moment where it's like... But for a three-hour flight, who would give a shit? What person would be like, I'm flying two days early? Like, that literally doesn't make sense. Understood, but she they literally have the receipts. They cut back to a conversation she has with Erin where she goes, I also don't want to fly coach. Which, which is, was a side note. But it's absolutely <laughs> fine. I get it. You're, you're a ride or die with Jenna. I just don't think that... This stemmed from her not wanting to fly coach. I think that was just an added bonus was that she could fly business. Whatever you want to say to yourself. Okay. How do you feel about Psy? I don't feel anything. I don't, I f- I'm completely indifferent. I'm, I'm literally indifferent to pretty much all of these women. That's why, again, like I said, it's a hard watch for me. It's not the easiest Housewives franchise for me to watch. Like I'm much more excited for Salt Lake to come back, for Beverly Hills to come back. But I will say that she has, I think, one of the few genuinely good marriages on Housewife. I think her husband is incredibly supportive. As pseudo-influencers ourselves, I did side-eye that she has not one, but two assistants. Look, it's hard to create all that content. And I do agree with her. It's like, 
being an influencer is an actual job. You may think it's a ridiculous and shallow job, but still at the end of the day, it's like there are tasks that have to be done. I don't know if she needs two full-time assistants. You'd maybe just need like a photographer, videographer. Chill, you know what goes into it because we do this as well. Not on size level though. She's really thriving. You just need a task rabbit every now and then. Ugh. Anyway, I'm over Housewives. Can we talk about other shit that we've watched? Of course. Specifically, did you watch Red, White, and Royal Blue as I requested? A movie that feels like well-written fan fiction? Of course I watched it, Chelsea. Can you imagine if the first son was actually that fucking hot? (laughs) Like, we have Hunter Biden. In this alternate universe, the first son is like this hot bi guy with a snatched jawline who's giving like Beto O'Rourke, like, we're turning Texas blue vibes. Well, yeah, I think that's the whole background of the family. And his mother, Uma Thurman, who is giving the best campiest southern like madam president vibe yeah the southern accent is complete camp but if you haven't heard about this film it is called red white and royal blue it is about the son of the president of the united states falling in love with someone who is basically a prince william stand-in like a yassified prince william prince harry because he's the spare but he looks like more how william looked like when he was younger yeah looks more like princess diana i love this because it's like the laziest and i do mean that in the best way possible naming of him they're like prince um henry It's not Harry, it's Henry. (laughs) The thing is, though, is that that actor actually strongly resembles Uma Thurman. Like, in theory, (laughs) that should be her child because they both have the most insane cheekbones. And, like, both of these guys are, like, extremely hot but in opposite ways. And, like, the craziest thing about this movie is that these men actually have chemistry. Well, and that's a thing. There's been a whole discourse about the lack of sex in movies. Also a much weirder discourse about how, like, there should be no sex scenes in movies. But that's that's for a whole other time. But I think a more pressing thing that has happened in movies is, yes, there's been a lack of fucking chemistry between actors. Even platonically, but certainly in romantic films. Yeah, and especially in these kind of mainstream Hallmark Channel adjacent gay movies. But uh, yeah, I was was impressed with it. I was delighted by this movie. I also love that Carmen from The L Word was like Uma Thurman's chief of staff or something or like campaign manager. An ill-defined role. Yeah, this was based on the best-selling romantic comedy novel written by Casey McHuston. Can I give you some Reddit author goss? Sure. So it is believed that the author was allegedly inspired by what is called real person fanfic written about Andrew Garfield and Jesse Eisenberg set during the social network press tour. (laughs) Wait, what? There is a story evidently that has been scrubbed from the internet about Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield falling in love with each other during the social network press (laughs) tour. That has a lot of similarities to Red, White, and Royal Blue. Okay. I also want to see that movie, by the way. I guess the whole key thing is the biggest similarity between these two stories. Oh, how he has a key from his, like, house back in Texas. Yes. Because he keeps it real. Very cute movie. Recommend. Not high art, but you know what? Entertaining. And that's 
really all I require at this point. Yeah, I think maybe people get a sense that we're highbrow or given our commentary about it and just like that, that we want something more from things. But it's like, we just want the thing to be the thing. As I said to describe this film, like, I mean this in the best way. It is well-written fanfic. And they have chemistry, and it's cute, and it's sexy, and the film had me when the British one is like, I went to British boarding school, you're in good hands, when he's like, don't worry that you haven't been fucked before. Oh yeah, and apparently like a lot of straight people learn from this film that gay men can also have sex in the missionary position, which... Look, no shade. I remember when I learned that. It was from watching the U.S. version of Queer as Folk, like the original one back in the early 2000s. But, you know, we all have that moment. (laughs) Just think about when gay men learned that straight people can have sex in the missionary position. That was like, that happens when you're like five, I feel. (laughs) And going by sex in the city, I would imagine that people are surprised that straight people have sex in more than the missionary position. So another thing that I watched this weekend that I did not expect to enjoy was Adam Sandler's new film for Netflix, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. I would say it's the debut of his Nepo daughters, but they've been in many of his films. But they're incredible. They're incredible. I stand these Nepo babies. I hope they have long and productive careers. What I loved about this film as well is he's not really in it much. He is a supporting character to his daughters. Although he does have some really brilliant comedic moments, like the fight that he has with the younger daughter, I feel like was one of the funniest parts of the movie. Yes, when he's screaming at his daughter, when his movie wife, Adina Menzel, opens the door for his real wife. Wait, do you mean the wickedly talented Adele Dazeem? Of course, who played his wife in Uncut Gems, and it really feels like he was just like, you know what? That made sense. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's not fuck with things that already work. And God forbid I cast my own wife as my actual wife, although I will cast my own daughters as my daughters. Yeah, but Adina Menzel being in this family unit, it's like, it was so realistic. The daughters literally look like they could be half her and half Adam Sandler. Absolutely. I'm going to say something possibly controversial. Behind Barbie, this is my other favorite movie of the year. No, actually, because it like doesn't make you feel like shit. It's delightful. If you're the kind of person that watched Degrassi, The Next Generation, or the kind of person that enjoyed the Babysitter's Club reboot, I would recommend this film. If I could describe it in an elevator pitch, it's kind of Adam Sandler's version of eighth grade, but centered around a bat mitzvah. And it's like a little less heavy than eighth grade, which I actually felt compelled to rewatch after watching You Are So Not Invited to Buy Bat Mitzvah, another brilliant movie. Yeah, I thought this movie was was brilliant. It comes from a young adult novel that they adapted. And I got to say, I'm really enjoying Adam Sandler's output at Netflix. I mean, I won't watch that murder hotel one that he does with Jennifer Aniston, but that allows him to do... The film he did like Hustle or the the one that he did with Noah Baumbach. It, it allows him to make interesting choices. Well, I just have always loved Adam Sandler, so respect. We also saw Bottoms, finally. That was the other thing I couldn't wait to see after I got my negative COVID test. What did you think? Because we didn't talk about it, really. Bottoms is a deeply odd movie. And I mean that in a very positive way. 
Well, it's facts. Like, it is an odd movie. It's not even a satire about high school or teen comedies, but it's more of a farce because it's set in an almost alternate reality where people are extremely dumb and hyper-violent. <laughs> like, it has more in common with not another teen movie than any John Hughes film. It's kind of like a reversal of John Hughes because it's basically about these two unpopular lesbians but they are like thirsting after the hot cheerleaders in the same way that like the nerdy character would be in a John Hughes movie or like the jock or something. Right, minus the rape culture. Yes, and I thought that was a fun subversion. It's not exactly a fight club, right? This film is not so completely detached from reality that there's no explanation as to why they're doing this. They say they're creating a self-defense class and people actually start to show up including the hot girls that they want to have sex with. One of the hot girls being Kaya Gerber, who, another not Nepo baby that can act. What the fuck? I mean, much better than her own mother. Yeah, she was really good. She was very deadpan, but very funny. And I feel like, this ha is this her first movie? I've never seen her in anything else. Yes, she was in American Horror Story, four episodes in whatever the 2021 season was. And evidently she was in Babylon, which I saw and I do not remember. Hmm. Chell, I feel like she uttered a line that I've never felt more seen by, which was when she says, I'm not gay, I just love gay porn. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I thought this was a really funny movie. It was also really dark in a lot of ways. Like even the fact that they were making jokes about that side character that was like the would-be school shooter. Well, also, it, it exists in a reality where multiple people are making pipe bombs. Sure, why not? It's a deeply weird movie. The budget was $10 million. Charlie XCX did the music. It's like, yes, I want more things like this. Absolutely. Rachel Sennett is a comedic powerhouse. I'm really glad that she's had such a fruitful year between this Bodies, 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 and of course, The Idol. And Iowa Debery is also having an amazing year. The Bear, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, evidently, which I didn't watch, Theater Camp. See, I was a stan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the live action as well as the animated. I cannot deal with the way this new one looks. Like it looks like a graphic novel and not in a good way. I don't mean to disparage you, Chelsea, but I don't think that the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is for you. I know. It's for the Lukes. What do you guys think about it? Are you stanning this? Am I just like some crazy purist? I don't know. So Chelsea, we have spent time apart. I feel like this summer, my media diet was, and just like that, which is all we talked about. And I feel like this is the first moment I've had to talk to you about like, other than what we just spoke about, and then just like that, what have you been watching this summer? Actually, not that much if I'm being honest, although I did just finally watch Women Talking on the plane back from New York. It was powerful. The performances were incredibly moving, but fuck these women talk a lot. <laughs> they literally don't stop talking. Yeah, it's one of those movies, again, maybe I'm probably talking out of my ass, but was it a theater play? Because it feels like a one location play. It wasn't actually, which is why it kind of makes no sense. So if you haven't heard about this film, it's about an isolated community of Mennonites and all of the women and girls are like constantly being raped by the men. So 
the women basically have this meeting to try and decide like, should we leave? Should we try and fight the men and stay here? Or should we just continue to like live in this waking nightmare? And so the whole movie is just the women sitting on bales of hay and like talking the shit out. But as a viewer, it was kind of hard for me because like I couldn't handle the women that like didn't want to leave. They're like, what if we don't get into heaven? Or like, what's going to happen to all of the men if we leave? It's like, bitch, you need to get your kids and your horse and your Batsheva outfit and like get the fuck out of here before you all get murdered. Yeah, was cutting off their dicks not an option? Yeah, it didn't go that way, unfortunately. I was kind of hoping it would go that way. Um, but, you know, incredible performances for sure. Love Sarah Polly's journey as a writer-director. Me too. Although, you know what? I will say, color grading, kind of whack. It did look very blue-gray. It looks like that Instagram filter, like the one called Hudson. Right. Whereas I feel like it could have been more like Days of Heaven vibes. Between what you're describing, I feel like there's something in the middle where they just all didn't have to look ashen. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, see it if you want to watch the most depressing movie you've ever seen in your life. Well, now that I've watched all this stuff that makes me happy, like you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah, why not? Gotta balance it out. (laughs) Okay, what's something you've watched? So being in a relationship with a man, I've been introduced to a great number of things I would never encounter in my day-to-day life, like... Paul was looking at something and I was like, what is that? And he was like, it's a subreddit about flashlights. (laughs) Wait, so this is what you've been doing? The past few months, I've been introduced to things that like I would never encounter in my life before. But wouldn't you just go to the strategist if you needed a flashlight? Not if you're a straight man, evidently. You go to subreddits. That's crazy. But I've also been introduced to a show that I knew existed, but I'd never watched before this season called How To with John Wilson. What, it's like a TV show? It's a TV show that you can watch on Max. It's a first-person point-of-view docuseries about how to do very mundane things. Like the first episode of this current season, which was its last season, was how to find a public restroom. And so it starts with a very basic thing, like how do you go to the bathroom when you're just walking the streets of New York? You find you find a Starbucks. Do men not do that? He's talking about like legit public restrooms and the lack of them in New York City. But it then descends right. into spending time with a man making a home for himself in a bomb shelter that then reveals his eroding relationship with his wife. Okay, this doesn't sound bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I've never watched it before, nor would I have. But are you into it? Like, would you recommend? I would. I think you would enjoy it. Okay, I'll check it out. All right, so are you watching anything else? One thing that really did captivate my attention this summer was the congressional hearing about UFOs. This happened back in July, and you could imagine my surprise when I saw my actual landlord sitting behind the star witness during this hearing. So I knew that my landlord, who's this guy named Jeremy Corbell, was a journalist who had made documentaries about UFOs. UFOs, by the way, are now called UAPs, which stand for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, but that is another thing. I was not aware that my landlord was one of the most prominent and well-respected experts in the world and he basically organized that hearing got all these guys to testify and they like read a written statement from him during the hearing which was wild but did you watch any of this I watched a little bit of it 
see, I watched the whole thing. Like you, it's like a three hour long thing. I just kind of listened to it on YouTube. Like I would a podcast, but basically like the big takeaways are that there was three guys that testified. Two of them were military pilots who had had encounters with UAPs. And the other guy, the star witness, was this guy named David Grush, who basically is a veteran who then became a high-ranking military intelligence official. And he was basically assigned to investigate all of these black op programs about UAPs and, like, see if sort of, like, funds were being misappropriated, shit like that. So sorry, you can say UFOs, or can you not? Will you get canceled? It's politically incorrect. <laughs> no, you're right. I'll, sure, I'll just say UFOs for everyone's benefit. So he starts looking into the UFOs, part of his job, and he starts finding out fucked up shit. And then he starts, like, fearing for his life and shit. Like, we don't know the exact nature of the reprisals that he experienced. But anyway, he formally filed a whistleblower complaint yeah, and he testified that the U.S. is in possession of UAPs, spacecrafts, UFOs, what have you, and that our government is basically trying to reverse engineer them. Oh, and that we also have um, bodies of a non-human biological matter, so I guess alien carcasses that were recovered from these crafts. So basically the back third of Independence Day is what you're describing to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really, really crazy that this happened. And I have since like gone deep down the rabbit hole, if you can't already tell. I can't even like begin to scratch the surface of this ship. I know. I sent you the other day a Joe Rogan clip because I was like, is this your landlord or are these different UFO specialists that Joe Rogan is interviewing? Nope, that was him. Great episode, by the way. I've never listened to Joe Rogan before. And look, it's not like Jeremy's only going on Joe Rogan. He's been on CNN, MSNBC, every every cable news network in the last month or so. Chelsea, did you just watch the clip I sent you? Or did you watch, did you go to Spotify and listen to the entire Joe Rogan episode? Yeah, I listened to it. Three hours. How does this man podcast for three hours? I actually don't understand it. The power of weed and, I don't know, human growth hormones. Yeah, I feel like he was doing a lot of spawn for that kind of thing, like during the episode. But yeah, it's really, it's really spooky and and terrifying. And it's kind of fucked up because Jeremy said during his Joe Rogan interview that he's interviewed people that have worked in some of these programs and like everyone is kind of like we're not actually in favor of public disclosure like whatever is being concealed is so spooky and disturbing that it's kind of like we actually shouldn't know although of course I want to know our minds just can't handle it yeah well I don't know how to transition from what <laughs> you just described to what I've been watching this summer but I realize with the writer's strike, the thing that I feel the most immediately that I didn't even realize was a part of my routine is like having a cup of coffee in the morning and watching like a clip from Seth Meyers or Jimmy Fallon or like whatever happened on the late night shows. And so what has filled that void for me is a man named Caleb Hammer who has a YouTube channel and it's all about financial advice. Mm -hmm. He does financial audits on different people in the Austin area. So I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey. 
No. Dave Ramsey is basically the Dr. Phil of finance. He has a radio show. Like Dr. Phil good or Dr. Phil bad? Because I can see both the positive and the negative when it comes to Dr. Phil. Kind of both. I mean, he's genuinely helping people, but it is kind of car crash television to hear how people have gotten into like a million dollars worth of debt. And so, you know, he'll just be like, you can't afford that. But then he's also a boomer. So he'll be like, you should just eat rice and beans until you pay off all your college debt. And that's when you can buy a home. It's like, maybe in 1998, you could do that. But no, not in this current state. Yeah, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. Anyway, Caleb Hammer is basically the millennial version of that. And I first found him on TikTok when he was doing a financial audit of a very delusional wannabe model actor. And I started following his YouTube channel. And he's very consistent. He posts Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it ranges from the amusement of like car crash television, of seeing people who've fucked up their finances and are just unrealistic about their life. But also, it's this weird thing where people who are watching his channel are actually getting their financial shit together. But it is entertainment. And it's not just people our age who have no savings because they're like, I'm going to be an actor. It's fine. There was one older gentleman who was on the show. He reveals that his wife was dying. His wife did end up dying. And so he took all of their savings and just did everything she wanted to do. They traveled. They just made the most of the last six months. Isn't that the plot of the last holiday? Yeah. However, I don't think what's in the last holiday is, you know, so your heart goes out to him, but he's in this, He's in all of this debt, and halfway through the episode, he reveals, or Caleb Hammer realizes, that this guy is part of an MLM. Oh, shit. Yes. Like, the one that's, like, on the, at the top of the MLM, or at the bottom of the MLM? No, like, I bought all of this, like, nutraceutical stuff, and I'm gonna have a brick and mortar, and don't worry, I'm gonna get out of all of this debt. Okay, even hearing about that stresses me out. I don't think I can watch this show. Or maybe I should start my own show. And my financial advice is just going to be like, guys, just spend all of your money on Seamless and Postmates deliveries. Don't worry about the future. Just worry about like, what am I eating for dinner? I mean, I definitely think that there's an audience for that. But yeah, if people are like me and have a real Dave Ramsey kink, then this is this is your new favorite YouTube channel. All right, babes, good to know. I'll, ch- I'll check it out. Send me a good episode so I have an entry point. Absolutely, I will. I'm, I got to rack my brain. What's a really what's a really good one? This almost feels weird to come out of my mouth, but Chell, do you want to talk about some fashion? Let's get into it. Shall we start with the dueling British Vogue, American Vogue cover. Right, which is not the first time that this has happened, right? Adele was on the cover of British Vogue and American Vogue at the same time, but they were two different covers. To my memory, this is the first time they've done nearly identical covers. Yeah, it wasn't just the same shoot. It was the exact same setup with the exact same outfits. And the weirdest detail of it is that even though Christy Turlington and Cindy Crawford were in different poses, their faces were identical. So they took the face from one photo and put it on to the other photo. When I saw this, I was like, oh, this is some real like Condé Nast, like end of days shit. I was going to say the same thing. This to me is like, oh, okay. So like Vogue is done. I have to assume that this is about saving money. 
at the end of the day, right? Yes, they don't have money to Photoshop their faces twice. It's it's so weird. Also, there is literally never been a stranger time in history to not have Steven Mizell shoot something. Why? Especially the supermodels? Especially because this cover is not just to commemorate the the 90s supermodels, it's also to promote this Apple TV four-part documentary about the supermodels. Which I absolutely can't wait to watch. September 20th. I actually think, weirdly enough, even though British Vogue typically outshines American Vogue, even though they have the same photo, I think that the American Vogue cover was actually better because it felt like the cover line had a lot of weight to it. I mean, it was huge for one thing. It just says the greatest of all time, but I feel like it made more of an impact visually. I don't know if you read the article that accompanies this, but holy shit, has it been a rough 20 years for Linda Evangelista. Oh, I know. No, I did I did read the article. After I saw women talking, I, I dove into this equally depressing Vogue article. It's actually not depressing. It's a very good article. Sally Singer wrote it. But Linda Evangelista stepped away from the spotlight in the late 90s because of a miscarriage that she had. The child she did have with Henri Pinot had some sort of immune disorder where she had to puree all of his food, and then the cool sculpting thing happened. Yeah. I mean, I anticipate us talking more about that stuff when we actually see the the Apple TV series, but can't wait. Also, on a related note, Cannot wait to get this Linda Evangelista, Stephen Mizell book. I mean, it seems made for you, Chelsea. It is made for me. Also, there's just a real lack of books that he's made. There's the Madonna sex book. There is also a book version of that really incredible sort of Valley of the Dolls, Slim Aaronsy Versace campaign that they spun out into a full book, but it's like extremely rare. It's like, you know, 500 bucks from idea books or something. So this feels like the most accessible Stephen Mizell thing that we have. Yeah, it's coming out September 13th. We can pre-order it for 150 bucks, child. Oh, I already did. In other fashion news, a story that has really captivated me in recent weeks is the tabby thief which we posted some of this stuff on our instagram but basically if you haven't heard of this this girl named lexis made a tiktok that went viral because she went on a tinder date with a guy named josh she slept with him he stayed over mistake number one but and after he left she noticed that her beloved pair of maison margella tabby mary janes was missing this asshole stole her fucking shoes unmatched with her on tinder so she couldn't find his profile but i guess she had screenshotted it anyway and perhaps the most sinister detail is that he asked to borrow her phone so that he could play like some playlist on spotify or something when he borrowed her phone he deleted his number out of the call records so she then could not contact him. So he did that before he even stole the shoes. This says to me that this is not the first time he's stolen a high fashion item. No. So this girl's TikTok goes viral, and because she has the screenshots of his Tinder, people are able to identify him. And then it's found out that not only did he steal her fucking shoes, he gave them to his girlfriend. Right, because we live in the time that we live in. She was able to find that girlfriend's profile, 
And then he finally did text her and was like, hey, can you take down your TikTok video? Because it's not even true. She then sent him a screenshot of the girlfriend in the tabbies that he gave her. And he was like, ah, you caught me. All right, I'll meet you and give your shoes back. So she has these shoes back. Thank God. But honestly, lock this man up. This is pure evil. And this truly is something out of like an updated version of Sex in the City. Like this is like Sex in the City of today. Oh yeah. I mean, if there was a Lizette spinoff, she would definitely have had her tabby stolen. And also that girlfriend broke up with the guy because evidently he's not only a serial cheater, like Chelsea, it is so dark out there dating fucking straight men. Like they're not, you don't even have to worry about them cheating on you now. It's like, do I have to worry that they're cheating on me and then stealing things and then giving them back to me? Yeah, like stealing like women's clothing to like give to their girlfriend. I don't know what's worse, that he gave it to a girlfriend or if he tried to resell them. It's worse that he gave them to a girlfriend. At least if he just tried to resell them, you know, it's just about money or something. But this is just like an act of pure evil and malice. Anyway, so justice for Lexus. Glad she got her shoes back. I hope... The people at Margella send her the entire fall collection. Amen. So I wanted to talk about a few things. This is maybe a little bit outside of what we usually discuss, but Chell, we got to talk about Burning Man fashion. No one is discussing this. No one is discussing how disgusting this is, I think, is really the thing. Look, I'm a vaguely spiritual person. I understand why people would want to go to some hippie festival in in the desert and have some sort of communal psychedelic bonding experience. But like the way these people dress, it's like I can see value in almost any kind of subcultural fashion style, but this is like... It's like they took the worst parts of rave fashion, then mixed that with steampunk, and then mixed that with like, I don't know, Mardi Gras, basically. Yeah, I think it is two of the most affronting styles to us, steampunk and just like bad rave fashion. Yeah, it's kind of rave, but also kind of cyberpunk. It's like if Moulin Rouge was set during the apocalypse. See, now you're making that sound good, though. I think what also bothers us about Burning Man fashion is the fact that no one dresses like that outside of Burning Man. It would be one thing, and I imagine that people who have gone to Burning Man the last five or seven years looked at photos of what Burning Man was like and was like, oh, this is just how people dress. I feel like it's built on this idea of how no one actually dresses. Like, I think there was a person that genuinely was like a steampunk old raver. And everyone saw a photo of him and were like, oh, I guess that's how you dress at Burning Man. No, it's, it's, it's dark, depraved, sick, twisted. And people are going broke to dress for Burning Man. People are spending tens of thousands of dollars. Like, what, at like Dolls Kill and from various Etsy sellers? Yes. Look, if Burning Man is benefiting anyone, it is Etsy sellers. That much I know. So I guess in that respect, we are pro-small business. Yeah. I would also like to just do a mini rant about a problem across e-commerce that I've noticed, and it's really affecting my life, which is 
Please stop photoshopping the nipples out of clothing on e-commerce photos. I would like to know how sheer things are. I recently made a few <laughs> purchases from like dresses that were like a couple hundred dollars to a fucking Alaya dress that was completely see-through Chelsea. It did not appear that way on the website. And I'm not against, look, we live in a time where everything is online. I'm not talking about like a reformation dress that is online, but if you put some shapewear, you won't be able to see anything underneath. I'm talking about there's not even a way to wear a, like a nude bra underneath it that would hide anything. Well, that's because the purpose of those dresses actually is about showing the VPL. Or it's about showing off like a bikini or something if you're wearing it under the dress. And those dresses are popular. And I see a lot of girls wearing those kinds of dresses now. But yes, I agree with you. I do think there should be more transparency around the level of transparency of some of these dresses. Chelsea, look at this dress. My nipples don't <laughs> even look good visible through it. I mean, I kind of disagree. Maybe you should just rock that. Well, it's already been returned. There's one thing to be sheer, but tight in sheer, not a good look. Speaking of which, I did go into the Elias store when I was in New York, and it was fabulous. I went in January. It's great. Good addition to Mercer Street. A plus. Okay, in other fashion news, Kim Gordon recently had a closet sale in Los Angeles that tragically you and I both missed. But thankfully, friend of the pod, Isabel Truman, who's a fabulous writer, who also co-hosts the podcast After Work Drinks, did go and she has sent us a voice memo about the experience. Hello, ladies. Um, just popping in to recap Kim Gordon's wardrobe sale, which happened in Silver Lake a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. It started at 10 in the morning, but the line started at 6 a.m., which I think is the same as what time people started lining up for Chloe's seven years sale in Manhattan. This one was definitely less chaotic, uh, but the line did, by 11 a.m., loop around multiple, multiple blocks. It was also a much smaller sale, which I quite liked because I find sample sales really overwhelming. Um, super curated, I got a long sleeve plaid vintage j crew shirt which is the one that i realized patrick dempsey is wearing in a 90s ad so i was pretty stoked about that um a little cropped boss kind of striped uh shirt as well some acne shorts there wasn't as much vintage prada or Miu as i was hoping for um and i didn't see any x girl apparently there was some uh they raised seventeen thousand dollars for the downtown women's charity and apparently her stylist says that there is the opportunity of another one happening in the future so we'll most definitely be there if you're gonna go to kim gordon's garage sale the first thing you gotta go for is the ex-girl yeah well i mean obviously everyone just like got that straight away but i love that she walked away with a j crew piece once worn by patrick dempsey i know the campaign to which she is referring or the catalog i guess i think he was on the cover i believe evan Roth's cats recently uncovered that or at least that's where i saw it yeah, I think my dream item from a Kim Gordon closet sale would be like some random old Marc Jacobs dress from 10,000 years ago. Oh, that's good. Speaking of which, I think this could be the perfect transition into our next segment. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. So we have many Kardashian things to discuss, but let's start with Kim's Marc Jacobs campaign because... It is literally the polar opposite of like the Jurgen Teller, Kim Gordon ad campaigns that we used to get back in the day. 
What did you think? I think that this is Kim's next look. I think she should exclusively dress in black and white. I like polka dots on her. I never thought I would say that. These are great looks on Kim. Well, I think it's that this silhouette is so completely opposite of anything we've ever seen her in. So it does feel impactful. Although beyond that, she pretty much looks like herself. Yeah, I mean, she can't not look glamorous. I will say the merging of the two seems a little odd. Not that not that I don't think that Marc Jacobs and Kim would be friends. It's just that Kim starring in a Marc Jacobs campaign, but I think that's the fun of it, right? Yeah, it's just to my point earlier, where this brand has ended up is just very different than where it started, which was with people like Sofia Coppola, Kim Gordon, Kate Moss not wearing makeup, that vibe. But I wonder if this means that we're going to get a Marc Jacobs for Skims collaboration, because I would die. Not mad at that. But like really all the Kardashians have their own ad campaigns this season. Kylie is the face of acne. I feel like that was also a good campaign. That wasn't just a good campaign. That was an excellent campaign. It's very timeless. She's wearing giant denim pieces. She's covered in grease. She's also maybe the best model of the family. Can we get into that? You know what? I don't disagree. I think she has that thing more so than Kendall of being able to communicate and having a relationship with the camera. Like she's, I mean, I hate to use the phrase, but she's giving face. She is giving face. Actually, she's giving two faces because there's two (laughs) Kylie's in this campaign. Yeah, there are. I also love that Kylie is like covered in grease. It reminds me of those like old Dior campaigns with Giselle and Angela Linval from the early 2000s. But I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. Also, shout out to my friend Jesus, who did her insane wet hair look in this campaign. It's a good look. Can I also just bring up, I mean, I know we talked about the beginning, Timothy and Kylie's relationship, but while we were still talking about it and just like that, there was a very bizarre Vogue article that I believe has now since been deleted that the whole premise was like, why? I don't believe these two are together because it just doesn't make sense to me. And one of the quotes from the article was, it's hard for me not to assume that any particularly buzzy new romance is at least a little bit Kris Jenner orchestrated. What do they do together? Does he hold her makeup brushes while she contours? Does she help him sift through Wes Anderson scripts? Does he give Stormy French lessons? They fuck. Like, what do you, they're (laughs) fucking, like, what do you mean? They're fucking. Yeah. It's also like not... The craziest choice for me. I mean, remember that this man also dated Lourdes Leone. So like similarly dark-haired, hot girls. Yeah, he has a type. The way that Kylie is presented in this article is like she's a fucking idiot. Like, I think they could communicate on a similar level with each other. And also, remember, he was at that Nobu dinner with Pete Davidson and Kanye West. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that these two were in each other's worlds for the past couple of years. Well, as we know, they are dating, so bless. But also, we have to talk about Kendall's Stella McCartney campaign, which, you know what? Not bad for Kenny. Well, because it works to her strong suits, which is horse girl giving nothing. Yeah, but horse girl is like, it's kind of perfect because that's also so on brand for Stella McCartney. But also, Harley Weir is a great photographer, and I feel like the image of her barefoot on the white horse that is like, What's it called when the horses are up on their their back two legs like people? I have no clue. The horses are like they're they're bucking, right? Rearing, rearing. Okay, 
Can you can you guys tell that we're not horse girls? My mom tells a story that when I was a child, I went on a horse and I came off of it and I said, horse is schmeal. And uh, I stand by that statement. And now I'm scared I can't get on a horse because don't horses sense when you're uncomfortable around a horse? Like, I'm worried that I will be bucked off of a horse if I try to get on one now. Wait, you forgot the the term. What is it called? Reared? Oh, that it will, uh, yes, it will rear (laughs) and I will fall off because I'm not as... Not as agile as Kendall Jenner. Look, I'm happy for Kendall and Stella. They can live their best lives with their horses, but I'm happy to just walk. You know, I'm good with that. As much as I would love an alternative to heels, I'm never wearing those platform sneakers that Stella McCartney designed. No. Everyone who gives a fuck about the Kardashians was thrown into peril this weekend when Travis Barker abruptly left the Blink-182 tour in Europe due to a urgent family matter we could only think that it would have to do with Courtney and her pregnancy. And Courtney just posted that everything is fine, but she had to have an emergency surgery. The fetus had fetal to have- surgery, which truly sounds so terrified. I'm like, I'm so happy that the baby is okay because I actually can't handle um, the prospect of the alternative. But thankfully, Courtney's fine. The baby is fine. Hopefully she'll give birth soon. We can meet our our newest little Kardashian. Will he be a Virgo? Will he be a Halloween baby? Oh, that would be very on brand for him if he was a Halloween baby. Well, that's what people are positing. So Kanye and his wife, Bianca, were recently banned for life from boarding Venice boats after he was filleted in one, possibly, which was then papped the the paparazzi photos are very suggestive well yeah at the very least for whatever reason he has his pants down and bianca is between his legs and he is cradling her head however there are people on the boat right next to them so i can't part of me is like no like it couldn't be yeah I yeah that because there was like a friend of theirs on the boat or something right like it wasn't just the two of them and the you know gondolier dude or whatever yeah but then part of me is like maybe he would do that I guess the thing that is keeping me from thinking that is just the immense shit that he gave to Kim for her wardrobe style but it seems to be his dividing line is not when women are his wife but I guess when the wives have children like that's when the whole virgin whore complex really turns on I will say her looks really do owe a lot to um late 2000s era Margiela but of course we've never seen those kind of clothes on a body quite that curvaceous it is a whole ass look There is going to be a day, and it's going to be coming very soon as Northwest gets older, where she is going to Google her father. And I don't want to be there on that day. Same. In less dark news, the new trailer for American Horror Story came out. Yes, and it is Camp Gold. This is what I always say when people are like, the Kardashians is so scripted. And it's like, no, it's not. You know how I know it's not scripted? Have you ever seen Kim try to act? Because Kim on the Kardashians being herself, very different than actress Kim. Yeah, but we have seen Kim kind of act on the show. 
they have conversations about things they've already talked about. It's like whenever like we randomly like click a button and lose half of the podcast and we have to have the same conversation twice. You know, it happens. I don't know what you're talking about, Chelsea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this season is a kind of Rosemary's Baby inspired season. Emma Roberts plays an actress who desperately wants to get pregnant and through some creepy shadowy organization is impregnated with doesn't seem the antichrist it can't be good whatever it is however in the trailer we get the sense that kim is her publicist and delivers a delicious line which is do you want an oscar do you want it more than a baby (laughs) i can't wait for this i love pregnancy horror stuff in general i haven't watched american horror story for ages but you know i did watch it at one point you know i i have respect for asylum as we all should and to a lesser degree coven well now's the time to jump back in so it's said that this was delicate part one is that because the writer and sag strike interrupted shooting so they've split it into two parts i think so because we know that they had already shot a lot of it before the sag strike so that makes sense i'm glad we're getting something new all right i hope they were shooting the kardashians i would love to see kim's side of the behind the scenes oh i'm sure there's going to be a whole season about that I guess that's it for the Kardashian news. And I think that's it for all the stuff that we've missed over the past couple of months. It was so great to get back to it. And we'll be back next week. Bye, guys. All right, bye. (laughs) 